invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles with me. Open them back to the Gospel of Luke, back to chapter 12, and back to verse 13. Last week, we began looking at this passage and began this particular sermon and didn't quite finish, so today we are going to wrap it up. Essentially, what we covered last week uh, were verses 13 through 21. And the theme that we were really looking at was the reality that as Christians we're called to be different and live differently and not to be possessed by the things that the world is possessed by. Namely, in this text, uh, possessions. Christ is warning and talking about here materialism. He's warning against materialism, which is a possession-oriented and a possession-defined life. And as Christians, we're not to be caught up in the pursuit of possessions. We began talking about last week that we live in a world of misplaced priorities and false pursuits. Every day and everywhere around us, priorities are misplaced. People possess the wrong values. The world we live in possesses the wrong values. And they engage in false pursuits for the same end goal that every human being desires, ultimately, in my opinion, and that is satisfaction. We all want to be satisfied. We have this inner desire to be fulfilled, to have purpose and meaning and satisfaction in every area of life and with our entire existence. The problem with the world is that they engage in these false pursuits to find satisfaction and they think it's found in possessions, right? Especially the day and age that we live in with technology so advanced as it is, every day we're being persuaded that this product or that product will fill some void or sense in your life. That's the way of the world. And Christ says the way of the Christian is actually fundamentally different. We're not possession-oriented people. In fact, as Christ would say in verse 21 of this chapter, we're not people who lay up treasure on this earth. We're people who want to be rich toward God. As he would say in verse 15, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And so we're like the salmon. That's the illustration we used last week. Going against the stream. Going against the current. Living against the world. And living under a different standard. Which means the things that we do, the way that we live, everything about our lives is defined and expressed differently as Christians. We are not to look like the world. And we're not to buy into this lie that possessions are all that matters. And it is a prevalent lie, is it not? It is. It's pervasive. We all fall victim to it. We all find ourselves occasionally captivated by this lie of thinking, if I only get a better house, a better car, more stuff, if I only work my job to save enough money for this or save enough money for that, and Christ is saying your, your heart is looking in the wrong direction. Your perspective is 
all wrong. Life consists more than consists of more than possessions. Consists of more than the abundance of possessions. So we don't define our lives by our stuff. We don't define our lives even by this temporary physical existence, do we? We live according to a different standard. That's what Christ is going to be getting at in the rest of this text, the rest of this passage. We have different joys, different delights, different pleasures. We work our vocational careers and jobs differently. We grocery shop differently. We drive down the road differently. The standard that we try to adhere to is differently. Our measurement of success is different. The world no longer dictates anything for us. Society and social norms should no longer have a bearing upon us anymore. We now are under new government. And that's the kingdom of God. That's what Christ is going to point us to in this text today. If you remember, look in verse 13. This all originates from a gentleman coming out of the crowd and addressing Jesus. And he wants Jesus to help settle an issue between his brother and himself concerning his father's estate. Jesus refuses in verse 14. And in verse 15, he perceives that this man is basing his life on what he's going to inherit. He's basing his satisfaction on those kind of things. And that's when he says, be on guard against all covetousness, because life consists of more than the abundance of possessions. Then he shares the parable of the man who is rich and, uh, and he, his land in verse 16 produces plentifully. And in verse 17 and 18 and 19, he decides what he's going to do. He's going to tear down his barns, build bigger ones, store his grain, his crops. And then in verse 19, we see his attitude, really the condition of his soul, his heart. He says, I have ample goods laid up. For many years, I'm going to relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now I can be satisfied. Now I've arrived. Now I'm successful. Now um, I'm content. Verse 20, God actually calls him a fool. And we talked about it. It's not because he stored up his grain. That's actually wise and and productive and and frugal. He's taking care of what he's been blessed with. Uh, He's not a fool because... He was blessed with crops. His wealth doesn't make him a fool. What makes him a fool in God's eyes is that he's seeking satisfaction in his wealth. And Christ says in verse 20, this is why you're a fool. This night your very soul will be required of you. And then what? And then what happens to your possessions? Last week we said only a handful of options are available now. They either rot and ruin or they get dispersed. And people have to take care of them. And so Jesus says, verse 21, the one who lays up treasure for himself is, is uh, on this earth is not in a good place. Richness towards God is what matters. That's what matters for us. That's what will always matter. And all the security that you might feel today with the finances that you have in your bank account with the stuff you have in your home All that materialistic stuff that surrounds you makes you feel good about yourself, makes you feel good about the future, will not matter an ounce when your soul is required of you. When you're called to stand before God and give an account, your earthly wealth means zero 
And this is the foolishness of going the way of the world. This is the foolishness of spending a lifetime pursuing possessions because when you stand before God, not an ounce of it will be considered. Not an ounce of it will be important. You might be rich in this life, but you could be found to be in debt in the life to come. So we do have a question naturally. That's the common trap that we talked about last week. The common trap of humanity. We're all prone to try to define our lives by our possessions. We do have a question now, and this is where we're going to jump into verse 22. What do we do to combat this temptation? So look with me in verse 22. I've already read really verses 13 through 21. Let's pick up in verse 22, read the passage and come back and finish the text. In verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and Tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The common trap is to define life by our possessions. So what do we do to combat that? What do we do to combat a materialistic, worldly lifestyle? Because it is for us a nine and constant temptation to measure everything of our lives by this standard. In fact, last week, if you remember, we said people even measure the, the church that they attend based upon possessions. It is a known fact some people move to a new community and go and look and say, what's the nicest building with the most stuff, the most resources, the most money? That's where I'm going to go to church. In some weird sense, even a health, the health of churches have, has been de defined by possessions. It is a constant gnawing temptation to measure life by this. What's the answer? And Jesus gives the answers. He immediately begins destructing his disciples in verse 22 the the attention has shifted now from the perceived unbelieving man who defined his satisfaction by his father's inheritance and wanted christ to uh, decide between the two 
The attention is now changed from him to the disciples. And Jesus is going to take it even further than just wealth and abundance of possessions. In fact, he says, you don't even need to worry about the necessary things of life. That's shocking. That's a very shocking statement. Because there seems to be this instinct built within us, right? To survive and preserve life and do all we can and, and do all that is necessary to continue to live. And Christ says, I don't want you as disciples to not just be concerned about abundance of possessions. I don't even want you to be anxious about necessary things. You have a higher calling. You have a higher understanding, a higher knowledge that you get to possess in knowing God and knowing the kingdom of God. Your heart can ascend to something greater than even necessary things. Well, the whole crux of Jesus' instruction here to the disciples lies in the person of God and in His relationship to us. How do we combat the gnawing and constant temptation to measure life by our possessions? The answer is to have a proper understanding of God and a proper understanding of His relationship to us. Knowing God is always the key. Understanding who God is, how He relates to us, and what He expects of us. That is always the correct answer. All of our victory in life, all of our sanctification in life, all of our liberation in life, everything, every good and perfect gift, every blessing of the Christian existence is bound up in knowing God. It is the chief aim of man. No one overcomes sin. No one overcomes temptation. No one overcomes uh, anxiety. No one overcomes the wrong path in life without knowing God. Because when you understand God as Christ is portraying Him in this text, when you understand who He is and the very heartbeat that He possesses, It does liberate us to live a different life that is unconcerned about the possessions and even necessary things around us. How do I let go? How do I quit defining myself by the world's standard? How do I live a different new life under the kingdom of God, the banner of God? It begins with knowing God and knowing His relationship to us. Church, That is where liberation always begins. Always. We can even step outside of this text for a moment. And whatever sin you may be struggling with, whatever difficulty you may be going through in life, whatever may be consuming the life out of your own soul, let me tell you, liberation begins in knowing your God. Always. Because when we know our God, we know that He's almighty. When we know our God, we know that He is all-powerful. Nothing's outside of His control. Nothing's outside of His ability. When we know our God, we know that He is our faithful provider. That everything comes from His hands. 
And when we get that, we begin to understand, I don't even need to be concerned with the necessary things of life. I don't need to be concerned about what I'm going to eat, as Christ says in verse 22. I don't need to be concerned about what I'm going to wear. Because I know God and I know His goodness and I know His heart and I know that He, he owns all things, is sovereign over all things and, and possesses all power and I know that He is a very faithful provider. So it's not just that life consists of more than the abundance of possessions, as Jesus said earlier in verse 15. It's also verse 23. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. There's more going on here. We belong to a God who meets every need that we have. And every need we ever will have. How often... Do we try to resolve life's issues in our own strength and our own power? And how often do we think that the world is correct in, in the way that it navigates this existence on this planet? How often do we buy into their ideas for peace and relief and solutions to life's problems? Christ is saying you are different you're called to a different life, you can know God and that can liberate you to greater things. He's going to come down and say that greater thing is the kingdom. There's three things that Christ mentions here to help convey this reality for us of God caring for us. Verse 24, the first one is that God feeds the ravens. Jesus says they don't sow, nor do they reap. They don't have storehouses or barns like the guy in the parable above. And yet, God feeds them. He's a provider in His nature, isn't He? He's a provider at the core of who He is. He provides for all the, the living creatures on the earth. He, he'll say to Job at the end of the book of Job, who feeds the mountain goats and the, and the mountain lions and takes care of their young and provides for for them and, and the resounding answer is God does God provides for everything in creation including the ravens something that you and I would would see as as needless and yet God in his very nature is a provider and 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 he cares doesn't he he's a caregiver he's a, a need meter of how much more value are you than the birds, Jesus says. Sounds familiar, right? Because Jesus has already said that in verse 7. He says in verse 7 of chapter 12, Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. God takes care of the sparrows. God takes care of the ravens. Why don't you think He'll take care of you? You are of infinitely more value than sparrows. And ravens. God cares enough about you to know even the precise number of hairs on your head. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Guys, don't be caught up in the way of the world. Don't be caught up in the pursuit of possessions. 
And don't be caught up even in the pursuit of necessary things. God will provide for you. Look at the ravens. Well, what about verse 25? It's not just that God feeds the ravens. It's also that we're very dependent. Verse 25, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? You know how often I've tried to do that? It is impossible. None of us can do that. And then look at the language of Jesus in verse 26. If you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, well then why are you anxious about the rest? You realize adding an hour to a span of life in God's eyes is an incredibly small thing. It is very easy to the God of all time to add time or take away time. Here's the God who makes the sun stand still. In His eyes, it is nothing to add an hour, a year, a decade, a century. All time is in His possession. And yet, He makes us come to this realization in verse 26. In comparison to Him, we can't even do as small a thing as add an hour, a minute, a second, a moment. Why are you anxious? Because in every area of life, you're dependent on God. None of life is in your hands. None of life is under your control. You can't provide for yourself. You can't earn your necessary things to continue existing. To continue to live. To continue to function. Everything you have comes from the hands of God. You have no control over the length of your life. You have no control over anything else of your life. If you can't even add an hour, why are you anxious about the rest? You're dependent. Constantly. You're a creature. Dependent upon the Creator. Your anxiety will profit you nothing. Trust God. I wonder often if the reason we get sucked into this lie and buy into the ways and standards of the world is because we don't trust God. Do we pursue after possessions and greater amounts of money and newer this and newer that? To earn security and favor before men because really we don't know that God is going to provide for our future. Trust God. Let us not be consumed by the pursuit of possessions. Let us not be consumed about worry for the future. God cares for the ravens. And in fact, the entire existence of your whole life is in God's hands. Well, verse 27, the third thing, it's not just that God feeds ravens. He also clothes the fields with immense beauty. Consider the lilies, Jesus says. They don't toil. They don't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. This is how God clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will He clothe you or you of little faith? 
we have some understanding of a beautiful green meadow that's that's strewn with all these pretty beautiful wild flowers sprouting up every spring and and we can consider even the lilies we know what this flower looks like and the intricacy that's involved in this one single plant and how each plant is also diverse and unique even within its own species and own kind and then you you spin out of those kinds and and each flower is different from another flower and each kind is different from another kind and they're glorious and they're beautiful and God closed the fields with these wonderful displays of beauty if God is so diligent and so detail oriented and so concerned with the grass how much more us Oh, Christ is bringing now our relationship to the Father to a very personal level. And He's saying, here's your liberation in knowing God. You don't have to worry about the things the world worries about. You can be different because you know God and you know His power and you know His care and concern for you. And if He sustains your life, if He feeds the ravens, if He clothes the fields with lilies, then surely He's going to take care of you, right? How often can we look at life's problems, pause and remember, God, you feed the ravens. God, you clothe the fields with lilies. God, every moment of my life is in your hands. And I'm dependent upon you. Jesus says, here is liberation. You don't have to be like the man seeking satisfaction in his possessions. You don't have to be the fool in verse 20. Instead, if you know God and trust God and rest in God's provision for you and believe that He is that faithful, faithful provider, then in verse 20, when your soul is required of you, you will stand before God with joy, not as the fool. Well, all of it comes down to verse 29 and 30. It's kind of the summary of, of what Jesus is saying here. Do not seek what you are to eat. And what you are to drink, nor be worried. Now let me, let me pause. Christ is not saying, be lazy and don't work. Christ is not saying, don't take care of yourself in your life. He is. Paul would later say in one of his letters, to, to work diligently and to do good work and to be productive in society. That's not what Christ is saying. The key word there is anxiety and worried. Don't spend all of your existence pursuing these things. You have a higher calling. Verse 30, don't be like all the nations of the world who seek after these things. Because your father knows that you need them. You have to pause on that phrase for a moment. Here's, here's God and we know what we know about God. We know that he is a faithful provider and all powerful and and loving, and tender, and compassionate, and caring. And yet here also, we trust that God knows what we need. Here's the last aspect of liberation from, from worldly standards and worldly pursuits. God knows every need you will ever have. God knows your emotional needs. God knows your physical needs. God knows your spiritual needs. You don't have to turn anywhere else. God knows them intimately. God knows them personally. God knows them in every bit of their detail. And God cares for them. God cares for your needs. 
Your emotional needs, physical needs, spiritual needs. Don't spend your life in vain pursuit of worldly possessions. Realize God knows what you need and He cares about meeting your needs. I have to warn you, this is a very countercultural truth. If you abandon worldly measurements of success and worldly definitions of life, you will stick out. You will be different. You might even be found to be hated. It is entirely against the way of the world for Jesus to say that we are not to be concerned with possessions. Instead, we're to be concerned with a relationship with God. Most people would say that's ludicrous, that's insane, illogical, unreasonable, foolishness. And yet, at the same time, that is the instruction of God, that is the desire of God, that is the plan of God. Know who He is and know how He works and know His relationship to us. That is always the answer to navigating this life as a Christian. We're always to be in the world, but we're never to be of the world. We are being sanctified. We're being set apart. We're being made holy. We're being made godly. And increasingly, by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we are increasingly being made different. And satisfaction and pleasure and joy and and fulfillment is not going to be found in possessions is not going to be found in what the world defines as as good or necessary or important. It's going to be found in your relationship to God through Christ and only in your relationship to God through Christ. Many people have wandered off into a vain pit and even into an eternity in hell because they spent their entire life pursuing possessions And not Christ. Don't buy the lie. Don't be sucked in. And when you realize that that the hooks are beginning to latch upon your soul. And you are being sucked into the ways of the world. Run with all of your might. Run to God. Because it would be a terrifying thing for God to say of any one of us. You fool. Your soul is required of you this night. And what will be of your possessions? What will be of your life then? We're not dealing with church some moral thing here or or some uh, certain way of living that God would prefer over another. We're dealing with what pleases God, what is best for your life and what is meant for the Christian. This isn't just one better life over another. This is life versus death. And you can spend your life pursuing possessions like the rest of the world and be found to be in death. Or you can let go, trust God that He cares for us, will provide for us, and pursue Him. 
So that's the last thing real quick that we want to bring out of this text. We have a different calling. It's not just that Christ tells us how we are not to live. He always tells us how we should be living. He doesn't remove something and then not replace it. He points us to something more glorious. Verse 31, instead, instead of the man in the parable, instead of the man that came out of the crowd seeking a resolution for his father's inheritance, and instead of being anxious about uh, the necessary things of life, instead, verse 31, seek God's kingdom. And he'll take care of the rest. Seek God's kingdom and these things will be added to you. Live according to God's definition. Live under God's banner. Live under God's anthem. Live life according to God's word and God's way. That is the new definition for us. It is now this kingdom that we are now citizens of as Christians. This far better country. It is that kingdom rule that now defines our joy, our comforts, our pleasures, our successes, our direction, everything about our lives are now defined by the kingdom of God and nothing else. It's not just that you shouldn't worry about these things. It's that you should turn your heart to something far more glorious. This world will pass away. Every day it moves closer to it. But this kingdom that we now belong to will never fade. It's an unshakable kingdom. It will never pass away, church. Instead, seek this kingdom. And in verse 32, he can say, Fear not, little flock, because it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's a wonderful promise because we can say out of those two verses, if you seek the kingdom of God in sincerity and truth, you will find it because it is the Father's good pleasure to give it to you. It's not hidden. It's not tucked away in some scavenger hunt. It's plain and it's clear and it's laid before you every week. It's laid before us in the gospel. We can lay hold of of this kingdom. Find liberation in this kingdom. Find delight and purpose and satisfaction in this kingdom. Your possessions will never satisfy you. This kingdom will always satisfy you. So verse 33, so then you you can sell your possessions. That's countercultural. When a world that says you define your life by your possessions, and a Christian says, I can actually get rid of all my possessions and still be satisfied. That is entirely opposite of the world. And yet Christ says, go ahead, sell all your possessions. Give them to the needy. And instead, provide for yourselves money bags that don't grow old. That don't develop holes in the bottom. That don't wear out. That don't fade. That verse might be more applicable to a woman's purse than it is for us as men, but... Provide for yourself money bags that don't grow old. Provide yourself a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. How many times have we in our own lives, we're we're not by any means the wealthiest people on the earth. 
But how many times in our own lives have we even been let down by our own wealth? Here's a treasure that will not fail. Here's a treasure where no thief approaches. What a wonderful way of saying that. It's not, it's not that the thief breaks in and is un- unable to steal. The thief doesn't even get the chance to approach it. No moth destroys this treasure. It doesn't fade. It doesn't deteriorate. 1 Peter chapter 1, we read this last week. Peter talks about this treasure in terms of an inheritance. And this is what he has to say in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power. What a wonderful treasure. It's not just that we live differently for the sake of being different. Christ calls us to live differently because there is a far better treasure than the one this world can offer. There's a far better life than the one this world promises. There's something far greater to give yourself to than anything that this world could ever dream of. Christ has called His disciples in this text not just to a different life, church, but to a better life. A far better life. These men that He's speaking to, they're going to be hated. They're going to face opposition. They're going to face persecution. By tradition, all of them but one will die. Well, two, if we count Judas, will die for their faith. And yet, they live the better life. Disciples and Christians all throughout church history, Hebrews 11, have been sawn in two and cut up and and martyred over and over and over again. Because they have chosen this life over the world's life, and yet they chose the better life. Because this is the life that matters. Why? Because verse 34, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. What you treasure has your heart. That is incredibly practical instruction. And your heart is either going to be wrapped up in your possessions, in your worries, even in good things like your family, or if you heed Christ's calling, it can be wrapped up in God. Pursue with all your might, church, and with all the diligence that you can muster the kingdom of God. Pursue it with all the effort and all the resources that you have because that is where your heart belongs. With Christ. With God. In the new kingdom. And where your treasure is, if you treasure that, that's where your heart will be. This is an incredibly applicable text of Scripture. One that I fear we don't take seriously enough. I think too many of us define our existence by the way the world defines life and success. We live under the standard of possession-oriented living instead of pursuing the kingdom of God. We have a different standard, a different calling, 
a different life, different desires, a different end goal than those who are unregenerate around us. Let us live that way. Let us be different, no matter the cost. Let us enjoy the abundant life promised here and now. But I have to say, as I said last week, none of this is possible for you if you don't first have faith in Christ. Not an ounce of this belongs to you if you don't trust in Jesus. If you are an unbeliever, and your life is not in the hands of Christ, and you haven't trusted Jesus for salvation, you will be, without exception, the fool described in verse 20. You might have treasures on this world, but you are not rich toward God. Verse 21, and that is all that matters. The only way to be rich toward God, to enjoy the abundant life, to pursue and seek and enjoy the kingdom of God, is trusting Jesus salvation that's the only option and Christian many of us here I hope this text forces us to pause for a moment examine our lives repent of misplaced priorities and false pursuits of satisfaction and I hope and pray that we would take a moment and ask God to instill within our hearts an understanding of just how valuably important the kingdom of God really is for us. That's where we're going. That's what we desire. And God is saying you can have a taste of it here and now. You can live according to a different principle. One of freedom and hope and forgiveness and redemption. A far better land. It's a far better government. We must do the diligent and often difficult work of pursuing it and submitting to it. God, I do thank you for your word because it tells us so much of who you are and what you expect and what you promise. God, every instruction of yours, this passage included, every instruction contains a promise. A promise that your way is better. God, we don't, we don't have to teach children or teenagers to try to gain a bunch of stuff. They, we do it naturally. We're misled. And yet here you are coming along and you're saying... That's not where life is found. That's not what life consists of. Every day, God, we, we can pick up our phone or turn on the TV or pick up a newspaper or listen to the radio and hear people singing and talking about this person or that person who has the good life because they're wealthy. And yet, you say that is not life at all. Life is found in pursuing you and a and having a relationship with you and in living according to your kingdom. Help us to believe that, God. Help us to believe that. If only we would pause and think about who you are.
and your relationship to us, I, I do believe we would be liberated from buying the lie that life consists of junk. Help us to be different, God. Help us to no longer live according to worldly standards. Help us to submit to your kingdom. To trust you for our provisions. To devote our lives to greater things. Take hold of the greater treasure. Let us not be wealthy here and poor towards you. Help us to be rich towards you, God. When our souls are required of us, help us to stand before you with joy. It's only possible through your Son. Lord, this is one of those texts that so much needs to be said, it's hard to say anything. I pray you would minister it to our hearts and work it deep within us so that we can be a people who abandon worldly principles and find satisfaction in living for you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.